Hello and welcome to the final episode of the National Running Pod Show. Here's what we've got coming up in the final one of the series. Sporting legend David Weir is here to give us an open and honest conversation with Mike. Host Jamie's back in the hot seat as he turns his attention to socks. With tomorrow's screening, we get a better understanding of our cardiovascular health. We're talking Chicago marathons with Sports Tours International. A double helping of Arj this week as we not only talk about marathon nutrition, but also some advice around the build-up period. And of course, our amazing sponsors, Runderwear, are giving away yet another £100 voucher. So check out this episode and all the vouchers in the previous ones as well. All that and more coming up in this episode. So without further ado, for the final time, let's hand it over to our hosts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the final episode of the pilot for the National Running Show pod show. Now, look, we hope to do more of these because we hope you like it. So if you do, please let us know. If you hate it, also let us know. But write to Dom, don't write to us because <laughs> we've got fragile egos. Um, but thank you for sticking with us. Those of you who have done, we've got some awesome guests lined up for you today. Please remember that we're sponsored kindly by the guys at Runderwear, so they will be giving you a £100 voucher if you follow the details in the show notes for how to enter that competition. Also, if you go to the Runderwear website and you want a discount, use the code PODSHOW for a 10% off. Now, for this episode, we're going to talk about favourite runs or favourite races. So, guys, what's your favourite race or favourite run, Elise? I'm going to go with race just because I can't decide between my favourite run. That was too broad a brief. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking... You thought there was a brief? Well. This show doesn't have that kind of planning. Um, but race-wise, I was just thinking what have I like recommended to the most people recently. And I think I did a three-day race in, December, in Ibiza last December. And it was basically three days on the Friday night and then the Sunday morning you did a 10k. And then Saturday you could choose anything from 10k up to ultra. You sorted your own accommodation out, so you could stay where you wanted. It was mega cheap. It was like 50 euros for all three days. You got an incredible goodie bag, a hot meal after the middle two days. And who knew Ibiza was so beautiful? I'd been there and not seen any daylight the last time. Well, I've done a three-day rave in Ibiza. I've never done (laughs) it. I had quite a different experience. It was so beautiful. It was honestly one of the most scenic. Was it along the coast, on Um, the cliffs as well? Coast and then inland. I know, yeah, yeah. And I did marathon route beautiful and it was the perfect mixture it was like trails but perfect mix of runnableness like lots of uphills the food afterwards was great i went on my own and met a new best friend in the doorway of the hostel leaving on the first night spent three days straight with her hi maddie and it was just great to to just turn up and make a new best friend at one of these things we just had such a nice time and it was yeah like it's just it was cheap friendly beautiful everything you'd want in a run i actually sort of want to do that honestly i would go again if anyone wants to go i reckon this is a team trip maybe if we make it to series two highly unlikely given the lack of professionalism in this entire production (laughs) however if we do make it to series two we should head over there and see if they'll they'll mm. let us join in. So just to add, I think the thing that I loved about it was because there was something for everyone. Because if you took a friend who just wanted to do 10K, they could just do one day. Mm. They could do any distance. Yeah. And I love those kind of events where there's something for everyone. That's good. We did a race like that. Do you remember we did the, was it the Batty Bimble or something? The Run Rapid no, Run. The Run Rapid Run. That was, <laughs> and it was like, Batty Bimble was another weird race that I've entered, which I'll tell you about. <laughs> but that was, they, they had loads of different distances and you all camped out. Yeah. And you did a talk in the evening at the event, but it was, it was amazing. And you heckled me. But Absolutely. I was actually uh, thinking of that as like another one of my favourite races because I loved that format, but I thought Ibiza was just a bit more sunny and beautiful. So. Nice. Jamie, what you got? 
I would have to go with Comrades Marathon oh, in South Africa. Oh, what a win. It was okay, a for those people who don't know what Comrades, Comrades is. Comrades Marathon um, is a double marathon. And it's like 52 miles, isn't it? Yeah, 88k, yeah. 87k. Uh, so each year it starts in one town inland and, um, and then finishes at the coast and that is downhill. And then the following year it changes direction and you go uphill. Um, and it was amazing. Did you do yeah. up or down? I did up. Okay. So I did the up year. Um, the whole weekend was amazing. Um, it was a real experience. I think coming out of um, coming out of the city and sun coming up and just the fact that you're in Africa as well yeah. is fantastic. It's just amazing. Like, I mean, it, it gets so much coverage, right, comrades? So yeah. So in South Africa, it's interesting. Like I would go out there and I'd speak about the marathon and. And they would say, "You haven't. You're not a runner until you've run comrades." And I was like, "I was like, I've got to do this comrades race. Yeah. Like, this is what is this comrades race?" And I sort of looked into it, and I thought, "Oh God, that sounds pretty hefty. Double marathon, pretty humid, uphill. That's a bit of a challenge." So yeah. Well, and they, they, the brutal thing about comrades is the cutoff, right? Do you want to talk about that? So there's cutoff. Yeah, there's cutoff, um, and also the fact that it's all on road. So it's there's no it's it's the lo I think it is don't quote me on this but I think it's the longest road ultra. It's another don't Jamie know. fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcast, <laughs> just totally not right. So we, we will uh, be checking the podcast. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, yeah. at the at the end of the race, what they do is is the the person who's finishing the race turns their back on the crowd and they they, they have a clock and it's yeah. a specific time and they yeah. fire the gun. And you could be... 17 you, hours, I think it is. Yeah, and you can be, yeah. what, 10 yards away. Yeah. And if you don't make it, you're out, yeah. you're done. Yeah. How brutal oh, is and that? And it is brutal. And half the country, like, watch it on TV for that moment to oh, see all the people's hearts so being mean. broken. Yeah, no, it's, it's terrible. It was terrible. I, I mean, I was absolutely cooked after it. Totally cooked. Oh, I'd love yeah, to try totally that race. What's running that far on the road? Like, because I just feel like I'd be injured within three metres of mm. it. Like, how does that... Yeah. The toll that must... Take on your body is that very different to yeah. doing kind of that different? Yeah, I think on so. Trail. Yeah, well, I've, I've not actually run that distance okay. on trail, so I've got nothing to compare it. Like, I haven't done some yeah. of the stuff you've done, um, so I've got nothing to compare. But oh, yeah, it was it was brutal, yeah. it was brutal on the body. So, I've done yeah. I've done a hundred miler on the road yeah. that the Daytona yeah. 100, and that was that I found that a lot harder on the joints yeah. because your foot strike is very similar, whereas on trail, your yeah. foot is yeah. landing mm -hmm. in a slightly different way, so it kind of yeah. minimizes that. Yeah. That stress, because if you do repetitive yeah. movement, it gets worse. Yeah. I think if I was going to go for my favourite <laughs> run, it's not a race, mm. it would be the West Highland Way. So I ran the West oh, Highland nice. Way uh, last year with my friend Doug, and yeah. it was beautiful, yeah. brilliant, brutal, horrible, <laughs> disgusting, <laughs> cold, hot, amazing. It's Stopping just, for a few yeah. whiskeys on the way just I to mean, warm up? No, there <laughs> no. Were no it was nice. You wouldn't do that, would you? You did it in one go, didn't you? Yeah, well, I tried. Yeah, 96. No, we did it in one go. Okay. So 96 miles in one hit, and it goes really? over some mountains. And when you get like halfway through, and they go, oh, yeah, the next hill is the Devil's Staircase, <laughs> which is the <laughs> highest point in like Glencoe. And it's yeah. like, oh my God, it's rank but awesome. And I yeah. don't think I've ever hallucinated as much and also seen as a much amazing scenery as during that run. Ooh. Did you go to the Weatherspoons at the end? It finishes at Weatherspoons, the West Highland Way, because I had the best meal of my life. It was we did it over three days, but you got I had a like crap microwave vegetable lasagna, <laughs> and it was the most delicious meal I've ever eaten. So no, my so my friend Doug has a house nearby, so we actually 
went to his house, ate a massive fry-up, yeah. and then passed out, and then went out for dinner, ate enough food for 4,000 people, yeah. and then passed out and went to sleep Amazing. again. Amazing. Anyway, Amazing. <laughs> these are the awesome races we have. Um, thank you for joining us again for the last episode of this season's pod show. Um, we've got some awesome guests lined up for you. Uh, let's go over to them now. Thank you to our host for their final introduction of the series. Let's just cut straight over to David Weir with the first part of his interview. Hi guys, for today's big interview, I am delighted to be joined by six times gold winning Paralympian David Weir. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much for joining us. I mean, first of all, for people who don't know you, you're probably the most successful Paralympian of all time. Um, I just had that discussion with Josh Patterson, but um, medal terms, no. I think Tanny's got more medals. Than really? You've got yeah. more goals, though. No, she's oh. got more goals. I think she's got... You might have to Google it, but I think she's got 15. Goodness me. Well, um, OK, so the second most success. I'm, yeah, I'm, obviously... The, and you've the got marathons, marathons as well. To so I've won well. more marathons than her. OK, so, fine. Yeah, we're on equal par in that way. So, I mean, you are certainly one of the most recognised athletes. And yeah. For people who don't understand the different sort of classifications that you might race in, talk us through um, your classification. So I'm in the, in the... They say it's the hardest classification, but it's the, the top end of the classification. So it's, it's power athletes, the spinal injury. Uh, low spinal injury. Um, so the higher the injury, the lower the class. Got you. Makes sense. So 54s are mainly amputee mm-hmm. and um, just para from um, like very low uh, spinal injury. And then it goes to 53, 52, 51. Got you. And then there's the 34s, which is uh, brain injury sort of class, like Hannah Croft class. Yes. Um, and that's sort of like CP, cerebral palsy class yep. as well. Um, so the higher the break, the lower the class. So the 51s will be a lot slower than us because mm-hmm. they've got less movement in their arms and their body. Um, so if you watch the 51s and some of the 52s, their times will be a lot slower than us. So that's how they do it. They, yep. they do classification. So they Which kind of makes it fair because it's your They do make again. it fair. I think it needs to be a bit more harder in some classes because I think some people do go in easier classes because they know they can win a, a guaranteed right. medal, in my eyes, but I think the classification needs to be revamped up a little bit. It's been around for a long time and I just think it needs a bit of revamping because if you look at the times for the 53 women and the 53 uh, and the 54 women on the track, there's not many, there's not much difference. Some of the 53 women are quicker than the 54, so it doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's confusing it's quite, the public. It's quite confusing it for people to confu- watch. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it is confusing, and I, I just think the uh, governing bodies need to just get together and, and maybe, I don't know, get rid of it, but integrate it a bit more. It, and make it highly competitive as well. Um, so if there was like only four people in that class for that race, you know, if they made it a mixed class, it would be, you know, bigger. Yeah. And more events. So it's more exciting, um, I guess. Isn't it? Yeah, more exciting, but then people will probably lose out on the medal. That's the other side of it that are on the borderline that probably deserve to be in that class. So it's a, it is a tricky situation. Such so I'm lucky that I'm in the, in the easy class, you know, and there's like lots of us and you have to. It, don't, it doesn't look easy. I mean, I've seen some of the videos of you moving along, and you're, I mean, what speed are you moving the chair at? Uh, well, it depends. Like for, for 2012 on the track, I just remember 
looking at my clock when I finished, especially on the on the eight hundred when I had to ch chase the Chinese athlete down for that last two hundred. I was I was topping nearly. I think it was twenty two point five. Talk, talk me through that because that's quite an iconic moment, right? Yeah, it was. It was. You know, I was tired by then. It was my last race, so it was the eight hundred meters. Um, obviously, I won the five and then the fifteen. And then I was just like, oh. So just, just casually just dropped in that you won the five and the 15. Yeah, one of the five and the <laughs> 15. So it's six but gold medals across two Paralympics, right? No. Uh, so I've th this, hopefully Paris will be my seventh. So yeah. I started in 96. Goodness me. But yeah, uh, my first medal was, so I've got 10 medals. So I've yeah. got six golds and yeah. a couple of silvers on the, on the Amazing. So that was from Atlanta onwards to London. Um, and then I haven't medalled in a in a uh, Paralympics since. Um, so yeah, for for the for the race, so the five k in Beijing, I didn't get off to a winning start, and I wasn't quite well in Beijing, um, and it really affected me afterwards. So the plan was for London that I had to get off to a winning start. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got off to a winning start, I had the crowd behind me. Yeah, I had the media behind me. Yeah. So I was just getting the that, monkey off your back as well. That yeah, first getting win. that, getting that, and and all my my whole dream after coming back from Beijing was to win one gold medal. Mm. But I was lucky that I can enter multiple events, and the aim was not thinking I'm going to win four gold medals. The aim was if that doesn't go right, I've got another chance. I've got mm. another chance. I've got another chance. And that's all I, I thought about in training. These were my my aims in training but the aim was to win that 5k because the 5k on the track is my worst event <laughs> it's my worst event so um it's a long time it's a lot of power through, through it's, it's 12 and a half legs but you've got heat semis and finals mm. so you have to go through them but i was lucky that i was in so-called easier heats yeah um so i could sort of sit back relax sort of get get into the groove and mm. stuff like that but it was quite hard to relax because you had like eighty thousand people on it Screaming at you. Screaming at you. But um, once I got that first gold medal, it was just, uh, yeah, that that weight off my shoulders just went. Like, literally, I, I went into anti-doping. I went back. I wasn't even thinking that I had to be up at 6 in the morning to do the heats for the 1500s. So I went back. I probably got back about half God, one in the morning. Six, 6 in the morning the next day? Yeah, so the heats were about... Nine o'clock, so I had to get up. Obviously, you have to go to, to have breakfast and get ready and prepare. And then you had to go. I like to be at the track two hours before mm -hmm. because I don't want to be in a rush on the bus in case the bus broke down or anything. So you have yeah. to plan all this with the team before what time you want to go. So literally, I got back to my room. It was probably half two, three in the morning. So I literally went into the food hall, grabbed whatever I could see. I think it was pizzas or something. <laughs> Just Elite that. athlete nutrition. I know, <laughs> but it was like the last thing I could see. Um, so I grabbed that and a few orange juices and a bit of fruit. Literally, at that while I was going back to the to the room, I didn't even shower because I didn't want to wake myself up because I just wanted to get a few hours straight, in. Yeah. So I got a few hours in. I was actually buzzing from the night before. So I could you even sleep, or was your head just no, going? No, I couldn't really sleep. Yeah. I slept for a bit, um, and then I got up and. I had to do the process again for the for the 15 and the 15 I actually just scraped through to be honest um, so this is the thing I think people miss is like the the proximity of these events to each other and the stress the mental stress yeah. of 
you've climbed this massive mountain, I imagine, of emotion yeah. to win. Yeah, it's the emotions you and, can't train for. And the next day you got, I mean, yeah, physically you're obviously, yeah. you're, you're in elite shape, but it's, mentally you must be all over the place. Yeah, the, the emotions you can't, you can never train for. It, you know, you can, it, when they kept saying that the, it's going to be 60,000, 70,000 people in, in, in the stadium, we've never had, you know, a couple of thousand in the stadium, so... How can we mentally prepare for that? We did can't. You, did you freak out? No. Okay. No, because um, I was used to pressure of London Marathon every year. Mm. Um, you know, the general public and, and people assumed that I was going to win every year, mm. even though they don't. They didn't well, really understand. Because you kind of did. <laughs> I did for a while, um, and they, they, I, I don't think the general public understood wheelchair racing and and how highly competitive it is, mm. especially in the 54 class. Um, so I had that pressure anyway. So going into London, I didn't feel pressurised, to be honest. It's only okay. after I felt the pressure, when the games had finished. What, what do you mean by that? Have... Well, going into the games, I, I just treated it like the London Marathon. I just thought, well, everyone thinks I'm going to win, so I've got to win. Mm. And that, that was my mindset. So I've got to get, get off to a winning start, and that's what I did, and everything just fell into place after that. And, mm. and, but afterwards, when the games finished, it was, it was just the, the profile that I had where I was a nobody, really, mm. if you think in the sporting world. Like I'd, obviously, people knew I did the London Marathon, and they probably knew that I won a couple of medals in Beijing, but they didn't really know me. It was kind of, it's, it's kind of, it would be in the sports article, but you'd really have to search for it. It would have been about yeah, that yeah, big yeah. in the sports article. Um, you know, in, in 2007, when I, I, I had four world records and I was the fastest man on the planet and I won London Marathon, I didn't even get mentioned for the sports person of the year. That's mad, isn't it? But these are the things, you know. And, that must and, piss you off, doesn't it? Oh, right? I did, yeah. When, when you see, I'm not going to say who was in, in the nominations, but when you see certain people in their nominations that, that year and you're thinking, what the fuck do I need to do to yeah, get in that? Yeah. To get in that in that top ten or top twelve, whatever well, you, it was. You, you can't because oh. your your sport for some reason isn't it would, and I, Well, that was pre London though. That, that was pre London, uh, and then after London, I just felt the pressure was greater. So the year because you were more in the spotlight. Or? Yeah, more in the okay. spotlight, um, and I felt the London after because I didn't really train after twenty twelve. I needed a break. I was. Mm. Exhausted mentally and physically. Not surprised. Doesn't sound like you slept. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it broke me for a while, and plus I didn't want to see my racing chair for a while and training. And it was just you know I was I was it was like military every day what I was doing and and I, you know, and I fulfilled my dream of winning medals. Yeah. In, and so it's hard to get motivated. Again. I was going to say it's like because I mean you you smashed every expectation you had for yourself, and, and to be honest, no one saw that coming. No, that, that performance. I, I mean, didn't see it coming. To it, be it was amazing, and it's like one of the greatest sporting achievements that we'll ever witness, I yeah. think. And coming away from that, how do you, how do you be bothered to do anything again? Mm. You've like, you've won everything. Well, there was a World Championships a year after in Le Leon, and I said to the British Athletics, I said, look, I need a break. Mm. I, I can't, you know, give the spot to someone else. I, I'm, I'm being honest. I, I how just, did they take that? They were fine. Oh, like, okay. Paul, Paula Dunn was the team manager, and, and she was fine with it. Um, did they not put a bit of pressure on you? Because they were like, dude, no. you're going to win us some medals here. Oh, no, no, she was, she was great and she was always great as a team manager. I, I love her to bits and she really backed me on whatever decision I, I made. But it was that London Marathon the year after that I trained, but I didn't train, if that makes sense. I trained enough to do the marathon. I didn't train enough to, to win it. So I come fifth 
and I'd not been at the top three for a while and as soon as that was happened it was like negative there was only a few comments but it was on one of the major media outlets and it just said is this it for David Weir I'm like come on how, how old were you when you've had that what, what age would you have been roughly uh, so that was 10 years ago I <laughs> You know, and I'd just done the biggest Paralympics of my life and won four gold medals, and it was like, is is this is it time for him to... Isn't that brutal? It's just... And, I, and mentally, I was just like, really? I, six months ago, I was, like, on top of the world. Did you write to them? No, I didn't. I, I would put, have. I, and, and, and then, every time I went into a race, I, I was putting pressure on myself to, to, to hmm. always win, because people felt that I had to win. But, it was you know, the, the sport was moving on. Hmm. I was getting older... Everyone was chasing me because of what I've, I'd done for mm. the last 10 years. You know, I had world records and everything else. And, and you know, there, was, there is going to be a point where I'm not going to get in the top three, you know. But that just drove me insane for, for ages. Even going into Rio, it was just like, if I don't medal here, it's the end for me. And it was, like, basically for track racing. That was it. I just couldn't... Uh, there was a lot of stuff that went on in Rio with, with coaches and stuff like that. You must have read on, on, on mm. what happened. But for me, I just felt... Do you want to talk about that? or? I don't, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm up so to talking for anything. I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll stay with London for a start because we started that story about that home straight. Because mm. I want to okay, yeah. I, I finish that because yeah. that's obviously... Talk us through what's happening. So going into the 800 metres, I'm on the start line and... I'm in lane seven, I think, which is a poor lane. Even though I had one of the fastest times, I shouldn't have been in. I should have been on the inside. But I didn't complain. I just got on with it. So it, it makes a genuine difference for people who Ma don't know. Track. Yeah, sorry. It makes a, a difference because on the front of our chair and underneath our frame, we have a, a, a thing called a compensator, which is set for each... Well, it's set for lane one, basically. But when you do 400s, you can set it for each lane. Mm. When you're doing eight, you don't want eight hundred. You don't because want you've got to come in. You've yeah. got to come inside, so you've got to fight the bend yeah. because obviously it's set for the inside. So you got so that's harder work on one harder side. Harder work. So you, you 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 sort of got to hold your body to keep that wheel. So I start on the outside. So for people who don't know, in, in the eight hundred meter, you obviously you're in lanes when you start and yeah, then you so merge you, into. So the first sort of hundred meters, you're in you're in 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 the lane and then you break. So it's exactly the same as running. Um, so I had to fight, but I had. I think I had the Chinese athlete on my outside and I knew it was the world record for the 400 and I knew it was going to go off. Right. So I had to just chase him. Do you want to, like, take him out? Is that like... Yeah, I just, I yeah. just had to... I knew that he was the fastest. Mm -hmm. You know, before that, it was Marcel, but Marcel had a terrible games. It all got to his head and everything just went to pot. I don't know why. He was the fastest in the world. He was mm -hmm. meant to win five gold medals and it just didn't happen for him. Do you think that maybe your ability to handle the crowd... I think, think so at the time, yeah. Mm. Um, so I knew I had to chase him. I knew Marcel would still be a threat, and there was a couple of Thai athletes that I was, or one Thai athlete that I was, I was a bit wary of. So I knew I had to get off and get behind him. I didn't want to be in the lead, but I wanted to be behind him because mm. it's two laps. Yeah, that, that's where I want to be, and, and that's what I did. And then on the last bend, actually, there was a crash on the first two hundred. How do you deal with a crash? Because like oh, it was behind me, so I didn't worry. Yeah, <laughs> but no, you must have seen some in front of you because oh, actually yeah. that's like well, that you, can end you, your race, right? It's like, yeah, it can end your race. Yeah, um, it depends how close you are to them. Yeah, it can be horrific sometimes. You know, so you've got doing, to keep your eyes on all the time. You've got to keep your, you know, we've got something that's six foot long, and it's us, and we've got these big heavy 
well, I wasn't then, I was using mitt gloves, but I, they're 3D printed plastic gloves now. And you've got the tiniest steering because you want it aero. So it's just like... <laughs> You, it's, you, not, it's, it's not made for like it's not made quick, for moving evasive maneuvers, isn't it? No, not really. So I just knew that I had to be behind him, and on the last like one fifty, I knew I had to start coming round him. Mm. And my speed was exactly the same speed from the two hundred to the finishing line. So that's how I knew I was going to beat him because he was going backwards. Right, okay. Because his speed was slowly dropping because he was getting tired. And what are you thinking about as you're chasing him down? Like, I'm just thinking... Are I, you in the zone? or are Yeah, you... I'm in the zone. I can't hear nothing. I just knew I had to sprint as hard as I could for the last 200, which I've been practising and training. And on, even on the road sessions I was doing, I was practising like 800 sprints, 200 mm-hmm. sprints. And I had to really hammer it down on that last uh, 100 metres and... Uh, yeah, come across that line. How and then far, he, he got DQ'd f- anyway. Did so, he get DQ'd? I didn't know mm. that. So he got DQ'd anyway. But what um, for? He came out of his lane in the first uh, in the first time. Which it goes to your point about being in the outer lane being harder to harder to steer. steer and harder but I move over to the outside of the lane anyway, so it gives your chair a little bit of a pull into yeah. the into the lane. But yeah, that was probably It's quite exciting though to see that kind of race to the line, oh, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's it's, like, and that, and it's been like that in our class for many, many years. You look at the marathons sometimes, apart from the last couple of years because Marcel's been way ahead because mm. he's got a new fantastic chair and he's just beating everyone at the moment. But um, Do you think, that, does that make a big difference now if you've got... Yeah, I've just got one. It's the equivalent with the running in the, the carbon-plated shoes. If you're not, not in them now, you've got not got a chance. Yeah, so. not got a chance. Um, so talk us through the new chairs and why they're different. So the new chairs are, are full carbon. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very expensive because uh, every disability is different, so every size is different. Um, so they're all custom made. They're all custom made. Right. Yeah, to a to a limit. Um, I think the size is custom made, um, but the the length there's two lengths and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, um, they're very expensive. Uh, you know, a pair of the wheels. So they've gone the cycling route as well. So. The Swiss team. I've teamed up with Salba, uh, Swiss made. Right. So and this is this is becoming like. So the project like was after Rio that the next four or five years they wanted a chair for Marcel for Tokyo because he he was losing, he was like right. losing races or just about winning it or, and he wasn't even in the marathons. I beat him a couple of times in seventeen and eighteen, uh, and Daniel Romantruck who's a young. American was beating him comfortably. Hmm. And then as soon as he rocks, rocks up in Tokyo with his chair, he just wins four gold medals and yeah. walks away with it, you know? Um, and since then, he's, he's won all the major marathons. Yeah, so it does make a huge difference. So it, it's ma- yeah, there's, so a, there's uh, a technology, but it's a bit like, it's a bit like cycling in that respect. As well, you yeah, say, it's, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a crossover between athletics and cycling. We're on athletics rules, but everything else is cycling, basically, yeah. but without gears. Let's go from sporting success to sock success as we chat to Runderwear's Jamie about socks. Hey, it's Elise, and I'm here for a bit of kit chat with Jamie. You'll recognise him as one of the hosts of this pod show, but um, he's also the founder of Runderwear. Um, I know you had a chat with Mike, Jamie, about um, Runderwear and specifically the pants line, yeah. um, but it'd be great if you could just like recap a little bit just in case anyone didn't listen to that episode. Yeah, sure, yeah. So, um... So the background of Runderwear sort of started, I, I 
suffered some pretty bad chafing in New York Marathon uh, quite over a decade ago. So uh, that was the that was the p moment that um, started the brand. Um, and we looked. We've become a problem and solution brand where we've looked at problems. And one that we're, I guess we're going to talk about today is blisters. And that came to uh, our attention that that was a massive issue with runners and walkers and, and, and the like. And so we came up with a, a sock called the anti-blister sock. Yeah, and I think it's funny, isn't it? Because chafing and blisters alike, they seem quite a minor issue. And I think until you become a runner and experience yeah. them, you just think, oh, it's a bit of chafe. And even when you don't have a blister, you just think, oh, it's just a blister. But then it's, it ruins so many races. It's such an issue. So tell us about the socks, because I love socks, so I'm really excited did about you this. Get, before we get into it, did you get any blisters on your a huge run around the UK? So I say that I love socks. I think I'm quite lucky and I'm just yeah. not that blister prone yeah. so on um, that run so for anyone who doesn't know I ran a lap of Great Britain um, I got one blister that's amazing and I am I just yeah. do think I'm quite lucky but yeah. I I get really bad chafing so I'm on right. the friction related injuries I've yeah, got yeah. a lot of sympathy <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah absolutely no and I think you're right I think some people just have uh, that skin uh, on their feet mm. that just doesn't blister and they're really lucky because we do get customers that come and say actually I don't really need anti-blister socks I don't get blistering um, so one thing that we've actually developed going off of the blister side of it but um, we've got an ultralight sock that we're developing at the moment which is more aimed at um, really good use for runners but a thinner uh, sorry marathon runners um, thinner sock which will take away more of the the heat out of your feet so one thing I found is when I'm running marathons my feet get particularly hot yeah. uh, ultras I'm sure exactly the same not that I've done that many of them but um, I, I, I think that just ma managing that temperature control within the foot is actually vitally important to the comfort whilst you're running that marathon so that's a product that we're looking to, to um, bring out yeah. hopefully in the summer yeah, yeah. sounds like yeah. a great product. And I think also I say that I'm lucky with blisters, but yeah. I think I am quite specific about... I, like, I'm happy to spend money on socks, yeah. and I always wear proper running socks. And I did actually used to get m many more blisters at the beginning of my running journey, just wearing yeah. the old socks in my drawer. Yeah. So what do you think is the benefit um, of wearing specific running socks? Why do they make so much difference? Great question. I think, I think the majority... Um, the issue with having non-technical socks is the moisture management. So yeah. making sure that you wick away the sweat off the foot. So that's a basic. So when you see people running in sort of a thick, just sports sock, which maybe might do the job for playing tennis, um, when you start getting into the sort of 10-mile territory, 10K, 10-mile territory, I think that's when a technical sock really comes into its own. Maybe part run you might be able to get away with yeah. on it, but once you start really upping the mileage, I think a technical sock and moisture management of the foot is huge because the more moisture you've got, then you're going to get the going to get the blistering. Sorry, yeah. Is the yeah. moisture a big issue there? Like, do you think that yeah. really plays into yeah. people being more blister prone? <coughs> they just the people with the sweaty feet. I think. <laughs> I think. It, I think it is. I think it's the moisture management. There's also a, a a fit as well, which is quite important. So making sure that the fit is just there. Um, so on our anti-blister, I think why a lot of people quite, why we've got so many great reviews about them is the fact that we've got a two-layer 
So inside we have um, we have a tactile inner, and that hugs against the foot. So the outer the outer part of the sock moves with the trainer, and the inner part of the sock almost sticks to the skin. Uh, okay. So therefore, that's how it prevents the blisters. And this is not you know it's not breakthrough technology. It's been around, but I think what's really important is the eye for detail on the actual yarn um, or the fabric. Should we mm. say? of the actual construction. So what we do is we use a very expensive inner liner um, yarn, but it's a lot softer. Yeah. So a lot softer, a lot more comfortable, and as a result, um, that that then gives you a, an added level of performance and comfort, which is what you want. Yeah, and what yeah. kind of material is are the socks made of? Because I feel like yeah. some, it can just be a minefield, can't it? You yeah. look yeah. at socks and there's so many different words and materials, and there's merino wool, and there's all these things, and yeah. it's hard to know where to yeah, start really absolutely so we use a tactile inner so the inner is a is a tactile so it's very thin okay. and very light um there's lots of different there's, there's polyamides um there is um elastanes there's lycras there's a lot of them also share different names which was quite confusing when <laughs> i first started as well where you can almost have the same name but uh, sorry, different name, but the same fabric, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was so interesting when you were talking to Mike about the fact yeah. you didn't have a textile background. Yeah. This must be, have been so many things to get your head around. Yeah, it's been really interesting, but it's been it's been a real challenge, but I've, I've, I like a good challenge, so um, just like in my running, yeah. really. So it's been good. Yeah, no, I've, I've really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. And um, I think always developing and listening to the customers is what they, what they want. So not everyone wants a double-layered sock because some people don't get the blister. So um, for me, I've been using the ultralight running sock that we are developing at the moment and I'm loving it. It's brilliant. I'm, I've started using it on my marathons as well. I ran in, I did uh, Tokyo and London and Istanbul last year, all in that ultralight sock. And now it's, you know, we've, we've tested it with other runners and people that I uh, value their opinion throughout the community. And uh, I think we've got a great product that's going to be launched soon. So. Awesome. Yeah, and could. do you do just one last question to wrap up yeah, on yeah. the socks front? Yeah. Um, obviously, function's great, but personally, I love a stock that I think looks cool. Yeah. Do you do different like lengths and colours? And because I know lengths can be a really personal thing. Yeah. Sure. So, um, so we have a low, a mid, and high, uh, just to keep it nice yeah. and basic and and simple. Everyone kind of gets that. Yeah. And um, colour-wise, I think we need to up the ante a little bit as a brand. I think we've got some we've got some real funky cool colors in the pipeline um so uh yeah watch this space on the colors uh our, our sort of black is our best seller um i think it also lends itself to that kind of winter running where you know if you take a white sock out and it looks a bit gray the black sock always looks quite fresh even yeah. though it's been through the wash maybe a few times so black's always a good one but we are looking at some new colors for the for the summer yeah yeah, I yeah. definitely agree, especially for any trail runners yeah. out there. A white pair of socks, one run yeah. for a bog, they yeah. look awful, don't exactly. they? So exactly. definitely yeah. think black is a good colour yeah, to yeah. start with. Yeah, I think black's good, but I mean, I, I, I would like to bring back a white sock. We did have a white sock, um, took it out the range for a while, and now uh, I think we're going to bring bring it back as well, because there is a bit of demand there. Excited, so, well, yeah. can't wait to try a pair. Brilliant, <laughs> yeah, we'll get, some, we'll get some over to you, yeah. It's always slightly weird when I have to hand over to myself, but a really interesting tech segment coming up now with tomorrow screening. Welcome back to the last tech section of this season where today I am joined by David from Tomorrow Screening. David, hello, how are you doing? 
Hi, thank you so much for inviting us to the inaugural uh, pod show on the National Running Show. Really, really pleased to be here. Thank you. No, it's great to have you. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to chatting about this um, and bringing this information to the listeners and the watchers. I think, first of all, let's let's just have a chat about you, your credentials, and then tell us a bit more about tomorrow's screening and what it's all about. Sure. So I'm the CEO of Tomorrow Cardiovascular Screening. Uh, I have a background working in healthcare all my life. Uh, personally, I was born with major heart surgery and have been able to go on and, and uh, run a lot throughout my life. I feel really privileged to have had that opportunity and I feel really privileged to be leading uh, cardiovascular screening. And we basically, this was born out of frustration from our cardiovascular specialists who you know, every day we're working to kind of see how the impact of, of cardiovascular disease was having on the population. And they wanted to create effectively, a, a bringing together the latest technology to make it accessible to people to truly understand their cardiovascular health, which is ultimately the biggest indication, indicator of your overall health. Now, when you're talking about that, it strikes me as just kind of going, wow, this is, this is a real in-depth look at your health, especially you know, that cardio, cardiovascular um, element of your health and well-being and I think looking at your website and the images and stuff that I've seen it's like the real real high level stuff and this must only be accessible for you know peak athletes and peak professional teams um, but that's not quite the case is it? No and and that's the, the founding point really is that we're on a mission to empower as many people as possible to get more informed about their cardiovascular health and what we're trying to do is effectively take that elite level technology and expertise and bringing it to the open market. And we want to try and make that as accessible as possible because we believe generally that the more insight that you have about your cardiovascular health earlier in your life has the biggest in impact. And, and as I said, that what that does is it gives you some really great indicators to your longevity, the quality of life you have, but also getting you ready to kind of deal with those, those things that happen later on in life as well. I'm going to ask the obvious question because obviously... People, I guess, when they're thinking about their own health, cardiovascular and their heart is going to be one of the main things that people will think about and worry about, especially maybe as you're getting uh, later in age. But why the focus on cardiovascular disease specifically for you in the, and, and tomorrow screening? Well, ultimately, it's, there's no bigger challenge in healthcare and in health than cardiovascular disease. It's the biggest in, overall killer of people across the planet. Um, it's absolutely massive. What's mad about it is 90% of those deaths are preventable. And, and yet access to screening and insight is really limited. And that's why we're trying to basically launch our platform to, to improve that. Now, ultimately, this is to give people that ability to really change and make and get insight to how, how healthy they are and what they can do to kind of maintain that and fight that as they get older. Particularly for runners, I think someone who has had heart, heart condition and someone who has ran marathons, it's about kind of giving you the confidence to know where your limit is. It's also about making sense of the data that you have access to, um, but also getting insight to a lot more data as well. And therefore, you can really start to fine tune the training that you do and, and link it to your health. So, so, yes, you do all this fitness that everyone's embracing, which is phenomenal, really. But what we want to be there to do is to give you that real insight into your true health under, underneath that. One thing that we've really established uh, that the, the main hosts of this season have been talking about throughout and just when we're looking at different tech is the real obsession that people, especially runners, will have in their running and many to do with tech and numbers and all that type of thing. And we've seen the, the, the increased use and focus on wearables and all those type of things that give us more data and feedback. What next step does this take that will give you kind of that more information and more education around your body than maybe the things that you see in popular use at the moment? Yeah. 
I think the phenomenal thing we have all seen is just how technology has enabled, you know, data and insight to your body much more accessible. And that got accelerated through COVID. Um, equally, what accelerated through COVID is actually the appetite from people to want to know more and more about their body, which is great. And um, what what there is is ultimately a limit to where the wearable can do can can do that. And what we do is we kind of fit we fit in just above that, where actually some in person or remote testing can really give you some further data points. In particular, when you do the pulmonary pulmonary exercise test, which is known as CPEP, um, you work out your uh, VO2 max, which is effectively your maximum oxygen exchange rate, which is fantastic. And that gives you a real good indicator of your fitness, probably the best indicator. Um, we also stress ECG of your heart, so you really know actually how is that functioning. So effectively the engine of your body, how is it functioning during really quite stressful events and exercise. And also it talks about your rest, resting exchange rate as well, which again tells you about how is your body metabolizing both its fats and its um, and also its glucose during exercise? And actually, how can you train to improve that as well? And so I think we we fit just above effectively the wearables where we work and complement um, um, that data really for people. Cardiovascular seems to be quite a buzz term, but can you tell us exactly what that actually is and what it means? I'll keep it really simple. Effectively, it's your engine, which is your heart and your circulatory system and how effective your body is at basically optimizing that flow around your body to make sure you get the energy where you need it and when you need it and to keep you functioning as a human and pushing yourself when you're doing exercise, in particular running. And, you know, it's part of our service is there to both detect and act as a, as a barometer for your uh, own personal health. But in that detection, it is about that prevention. 90% of all cardiovascular disease is preventable. And that is about heart attacks, strokes, aneurysms, vascular dementia, a whole bundle of things that unfortunately affect almost half the population on a daily basis. And we've all got examples probably that we know of someone, a family friend or someone in our family who has been affected by it. And that's why we're focusing on that because it's the biggest health challenge on earth. And we think the more informed people are, the more that we can help prevent that in the future. I think you've explained the why of this really, really well. I just want to focus on the what for a minute. Okay, sure. What will I be faced with when I, when I come in for a screening? What will I see? Sure. I, I mean, we effectively run three core packages. One is a kind of fully remote package. Another is a kind of one-off deep dive into into um, what you uh, your cardiovascular health. And, and the, the third one is our kind of optimised membership programme. Um, effectively, they all start with a, a real detailed cardiovascular focus questionnaire, which looks at your sleep, the way you eat, um, you know, exercising, your, your family history, but kind of just gives our effectively our cardiovascular specialists, uh, doctors, real good insight to kind of your background and who you are personally. And actually, what do you want to get out of this? That's that's key as well, the motivation. That's then followed by um, a, a, a blood profile. So we'll do some bloods on you. And, and you can, again, we can do that remotely. And these can be tailored to both men and women if you want to. So that's quite important as well for people to really maybe get some added value from that. We do some continuous blood uh, pressure monitoring at home. That can be done at home as well, because that's, again, from our vascular team who's really wanting to know your circulatory system, seeing how well your blood pressure functions is actually a really good indicator of actually how healthy you are. And then if, once you step into the clinic, um, what you do, what you get is a is a effectively a, a vascular specialist looking at all of your main arteries around your body, and what they're looking for is actually early detection of disease, but also how well and effective that blood flow is going around your body, and that's really key because effectively if that blood's not flowing effectively, then effectively you can't exercise as well as you can, and you can't live as best as you can either, and th and that's really good, and it's it's that combination between early detection of disease plus also working out how to optimize that health. Then you'll be able to go in, you'll go into one of the specialist doctors and you'll work and have a CPET test. 
And that is fantastic, really, because it's hard work. It's great. We push you to your maximum 100%, which is not something you can do in a non-clinical setting. Um, but you can really, truly understand about what is your VO2 max, your RER, and equally, as I said, that stress of how your heart's functioning. And at the end of all of that, what you get is some really detailed and dedicated time with that specialist to kind of think about, OK, what does all that mean for you? And how do you want to use that information? And we can be as light touch with that or as deep ongoing with that. And that's where the optimized program kind of fits in, where other professionals like a PT or even a nutritionist and, and some mental health coaching can also help complement what we're doing as well. But equally, we recognize everyone's got their own plan. They eat their own snacks in the way that they do. They use their own way of exercising. And, and we've got to recognize that, particularly when those people are already doing fitness from a running perspective already. I mean, this is this really is incredible. And we were talking a little bit before we start recording around your passion and about bringing this to the everyday person. And I think it's really, really interesting. Obviously, there's there's with, with most things, there's a price barrier. But what sort of range are we looking at for something like this? Sure. So our, our remote testing effectively starts at three nine nine. And it, and this is the ultimate challenge really in any kind of health or healthcare setting is how do we make it accessible um then our kind of one-off starts at um 1199 pounds and then our kind of ongoing membership is 139 pounds a month so there's a bit of a range of different price points yeah. for different people and people can can progress through each of them they can turn one off they can be flexible between them um but i think what we're finding is that people really are willing to particularly for that one-off understand what's going on with their inside their health and and see the barrier of it that they most people then continue to come back to us as well. I think what we've had this before when talking on a previous episode with um, with a performance coach of talking about the barriers with uh, a coach that's going to support you. And, you know, obviously there's there's particular yeah. barriers there, but actually the money that you spend and if you're spending it in the right place is is you're spending it in a quality place. You're going to get the right information that actually is going to save you money in the long term if you think about, you know, the benefits that you bring to your health. So I think you know, everything you've spoken about here, and I realise we've just got a limited time and I think you've covered everything really, really well. And I implore people to go and find out more because it's incredibly, incredibly interesting. And I think you're doing such a good job. Um, but I think, you know, if if people are out there and want to, um, want to have this next step and support their, not just their running, but their overall health, um, where can people go to find out more and find out more about tomorrow's screening? Also, we're on Instagram, tomorrow's screening, and equally, you know, www.tomorrowscreening.com. Um, but you'll be able to find us. We're also at next year's show as well. And we've got quite a big stand exhibit in there and there'll be the opportunity to pre-book into that. Um, and there'll be obviously further comments about that. So we're really excited to be part of next year's show as we kind of came there, came there this year as well. So um, hopefully looking forward to meeting as many people as possible. Fantastic stuff. Thank you, David, for joining us on this tech section. Thank you. In terms of sort of your training regime and your and your brain, I think those are the two things I'm really keen to, to mm. learn more about. Like, what does it take mentally to to get ready for these events? Because, I mean, to do this over a 400 meters looks ridiculous. Mm. Like the speed and the power and all of that. Do it over a marathon. Are yeah. you absolutely crackers? Like, it must be so hard, mate. Um, What's going on in your brain? How do you train? How do you do, you do your what? mind? Yeah. I I find training now is easier. I enjoy it. I don't think it's easier. I enjoy it more than I ever have. Right. And I think it's because I had mental health problems and after Rio and, and before that as well, that I thought training and racing was the problem that was making me ill. Right. And it wasn't. 
Yeah. I didn't realise that until a year later when I started training again for the London Marathon because I've never missed a London Marathon since you know, my first one in 2000. So next year will be my 25th anniversary. Love it. So in my head, I kept saying to myself, you can't miss a marathon. Even if I just do that race, mm. just do it. Um, <coughs> so when I started training again, I actually, and I was reading stories about Tyson Fury and, mm. and boxers and other sports people saying that, do the training and do it for you. Yeah. You know, I was getting counselling, I was, I, was, I was talking to you. Do you think you coaches. were doing it before for, you, because you felt you had to for yes. other people? Yeah. Right. Yeah, after 2012, not mm. before 2012. I was doing it for myself then, that yeah. was just me. I, I, yeah. I just focused on me. And, and, and me. then all of a sudden you're this big star, which yeah. you weren't really prepared to be because, no. you, as you said, you were already the number one in the... I mean, you basically achieved everything in that year before. Yeah. And no one cared. Yeah. And then London and all happens, of a sudden, and then I was, you're a superstar. Yeah, going into London, I had, I think, a couple of thousand people on Twitter, and then when I come out of London, I had 40,000. <laughs> you know, so it, it was just like... And everywhere I went, it was... Stopping me, stopping me. I didn't. I don't mind that. I love speaking to people. I love, um, you know, having pictures and stuff like that. And, and you know, when people were howling at me down the road and stuff like that, it, it was great. But it was just the pressure on the side of delivering and, and meddling, and 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 I, I just felt I couldn't do it anymore. And and so with going back to training and how do I do it, I go back to the mental health side because. It keeps me sane, to yeah. be honest. Um, and training for the marathons now is a lot easier in my mind because I enjoy it more. Yeah. Because I know it's doing good for my body, but even my mental health as well. Yeah, your brain, your brain needs that. Uh, it needs that, that competitive drive, or is it just the the switch off, or which? which? I, I think competitive drive, but to be honest, I will still carry on training when I retire. I've got other things that I, I want to do, but um, training is the one for me where I don't know no, nothing, no different. I've been training since I was eight years old. Mm. I don't know not to train, you know. And it's kind of part of your your identity. It's my it? identity, and it's the only thing I know, and I, it's the only thing I know I'm good at in my eyes. Um, so I think in everyone's eyes, you pretty, pretty you did pretty well, mate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so training wise, it, it, it's easier. It was. I think when I was doing multiple events, that's when the training was hard mentally, mm. physically, because you have to train for the marathon, train for the 800, train for the 1500, train for the 5000. So the, the And everyone expects you to win everyone. And these are really different events. So the 5000 was the one I really trained hard for. Mm. Because I knew, the others I knew I was pretty good at. So I, 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 but if you're covering 5,000, you're covering the 8 and 15 anyway. In wheelchair racing, it's not like when you watch the runners, they'll go off and they keep the same pace, won't they? Mm. Wheelchair racing, we could go off very slow and then it could pick up and then there might be a sprint, there might not be a sprint. And then in the final, it could be the slowest final in history because everyone's cagey. It's jockeying for position, so yeah. Yeah, so it's totally different to, to run it. And it's like that in the marathons as well. What, so we, I think I asked this earlier, and I don't think we got the... Uh, what's, what's like, what speeds do you go at? Like, when you're gunning it, like, I, how fast can you get that thing to go? Well, on the road, I, I can average about... For a marathon now, in this new chair, I could probably average about 18, 19 mile an hour. <laughs> average? That's average. So max, it just depends on the road surface. It depends on hills and stuff like that but yeah I could go along on that on the track you could
probably top 22, 23. I'm a bit old for the track, but these guys, are, I think they're hitting just just over 23 now. It's amazing. You speak so humbly about like some mm. of the things that you've done, and you've, you've achieved something that is really flipping inspirational, and I think a lot of people would give you so much credit for. Can you look back at those medals with pride now? Um, yeah. Yeah, I do. And and I haven't even got them up yet. I was speaking to my wife about You've it. You've not got them up on the... Where no. are they? They're in a bag. Are you joking? No. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> so I've got all my Paralympic medals in one bag. I was sponsored by BMW and they gave me this little bag. I went, oh, that'll do for my medals. So they're, they're still in there. <laughs> and they're actually in my kitchen because I had to use them to show someone the other... Oh, months ago, and I've just left them there. Um, but I, yeah, and then my other medals are everywhere. My mum's and my coach's house. I've got some up in the garage. Well, you've won so many things. You yeah. Can't, you can't uh, hang them all up. London Marathon trophies are everywhere. Um, so you, we, we touched briefly about your love affair with London Marathon. Yeah. And you, you've obviously had a few wins. Um, yeah. It's like... How many times? What, what your, what's your results look like for London Marathon now? What's your so, my I think I've been out the top three four times in twenty five years. That is insane. And I think you're you're so understated in being one of the greatest mm. Paralympians we've ever had. So well, I would I would I'd like to see myself as one of the greatest athletes. I think you are. And I think the problem is. You know, sometimes when I'm driving home and I'm listening to certain sports channels and they there's questions like, who's the greatest athlete mm. in the last decade or 20 years? Not one Paralympian's ever mentioned, ever. Mm. You know, and it, it, it makes me sad. I'm not talking for myself, but other Paralympians like Ellie yeah. Simmons and, and, and Tanny Grays and everyone else, and we just don't get mentioned. And, and sometimes that's not the, the public's fault or even the people... On, on radio shows because we're not in the papers. Mm. We're not on TV. We're not, you know, we're not in the papers for our achievements. We're put, you know, Ellie's probably been more famous outside of her sport because she's done done, done, other, things, yeah. done other things. So, which is great because it's a great career after you retire. But I think we just don't get the appreciation. And I just, you know, I I've been fighting for it for from when I first won London Marathon in 2000, I thought, right, I've made it. Yeah, you, so I imagine sponsor checks are coming in. Yeah, I thought... Now I'm going to have to buy anything again. Yeah, Is I that thought, how it works? Yeah, Is that how it no, works? and I, I just thought, oh, I'm going to get... Hopefully I'm going to get a kit sponsor, I'm going to get this, and... I got talk, two, talk us through this. So what did you get? Did anyone help you along the way? No, I got a two grand check. And that wasn't it, because we wasn't part of the London Marathon, even though it was in London, it was done by Disability Sport England. So they're a charity. It's got a two grand check for winning London Marathon. Yep. It's changed now though, right? It's so next year, is the, the London Marathon is the first major marathon to make it equal prize money. Brilliant, which is, I mean... 50,000, which is, is great. It's not the best out of all of them, but London, since, you know, obviously me doing it, the mini marathon from eight years old, and going and winning the, the junior races and then stepping up and winning the, in the major marathon, uh, the marathon distance they've embraced us mm. and you know uh, Dave Bedford and uh, Brailsford and, and Michelle Weltman who's part of the disability uh, side of it 
che- they listen to us and they understand, you know, and the, no, the major marathons are going to be better than the Paralympics, in, in my eyes, mm. because they're actually listening to the wheelchair division and, and putting the prize money up. And It feels know, a more integrated experience. It's very, it? yeah. It's, it's one of the things that I always question is, is the differentiation between Olympics and Paralympics, and I think there's good reasons for that and bad reasons. Mm. And I, I, I do... I do f- we used to have a 1500 meters exhibition race in the Olympics and then it got scrapped. And I, I, it was the, a, a great advert for wheelchair racing. I'm t- always talking about wheelchair racing because that's what that's I what love is. Yeah, right? and it could be... Uh, it could be others. But we had a 1500 meters in the Olympics and it was a great advert for us to get sponsors hmm. and a profile. And, you know, I was... I was hoping that we'd get a exhibition race in London 2012, but it just it wouldn't happen. I don't know why the, the International Paralympic Committee and IOC and stuff. I just I think IPC wanted it to be separate. I get yeah. it, but Is they it don't help us enough to to, to to do that. So it was. I think you know if you look back at if you go back at all the Olympics from 88, there mm. was a wheelchair race in the Olympics and they won a medal. It didn't go for the, it didn't count for the countries, but you won a medal at, at the Olympics yeah, on, on, on full TV coverage in a full stadium. So them guys were used to racing in full stadiums. Right. And it, it just, yeah, I don't know why it disappeared, but it was great and we used to have a, 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 a race at a world championships, able-bodied mm. world championships as well. And it was a great, advert to promote our sport and I just feel the London Marathon and the six major marathons are promoting our sport and in the Paralympics it, it, it's just fallen away a little bit. Which is a shame, I look I think um, I, I think any, any sponsors or brands that are out there that are listening I mean this is a call to arms really and I think you know I, I'm certainly not going to be able to solve this problem but it does feel like it's a problem that's easily solvable and amazing that people like you are speaking out about it I think we've well, got actually, Hannah's done a piece in the, in the paper this week and, and spoke about how un, uninvest, um, we haven't got enough money invested in, in wheelchair racing, talking about the race chairs and stuff like that. And Do you know what? We'll, we'll put that link in, in the article, uh, in the show notes for the podcast, yeah. so yeah. that we can share that. And we'll also put some links to you. So if there's any, is there anything we can do to sort of, as a running community and the people who listen to this podcast, to get behind it? I, I, I just think it just needs to back all the Paralympians and, and give us the the support that we need, not just for me, because I'm at the end of you know my career, but the next generation coming through, we, we need to, f- they need to feel what I felt in 2012. Yeah. And I just don't see another games. I think Tokyo would have, if it wasn't COVID hit. Yeah. Because they would have done it amazing. The stadium was amazing and I was gutted for them, to be honest. Um, I just feel, each games now of Paralympic Games have to prove themselves better than London, and no one's done. London it was so good, wasn't it? It's was just, it was it's just, just literally the greatest. It and actually, it did feel parity between the Olympics and the Paris. Yeah. I, I felt, and I think credit to London. Credit to Sebco. Credit yeah. to Locog. Credit to all the backroom staff to to push the sponsors to not just sponsor Olympic athletes but Paralympic athletes as well. Yeah. Um, and we just need that to, to go on. We need investment in, in technology. Um, you know, it's, it's an expensive sport. 
I think I, I literally could spend six hours talking to you, and I'm very conscious that Dom's waved at me about four times that I've, I, I've overrun the time by a mile. But I, I am going to ask you a couple of questions. I, I want you to give me your three biggest highlights from your career in just quick, what and why are they special in one sentence? Um, my Athens first medal yep. was the 200 metres. Silver. No, sorry, bronze. It, and that was exciting because it was your first, right? It, well, yeah, it was my games that I come back because um, I had time out. I didn't go to Sydney. I had time out because I was a young 17-year-old. wanted to do whatever. Have a couple of beers. A couple of beers <laughs> and other things. Uh, and I wanted... So Athens always sticks in my head because it was the, the stepping stone to what I did in London. Yeah. Um, and obviously, 2012 was just... Yeah, you know, all, I'll all be very surprised pick, if you didn't mention I'll, it. I can't pick one. Well, I'll, give, I'll give you 2012 as a whole. Uh, as a package. Um, and actually, 2017 and 2018 London Marathon wins. Nice. You managed to make that four. I like it. I love what you oh, did yeah, there. So. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, they, them two stick in my mind because of I was going through a lot of mental health problems at the time. Um, in 2017, I didn't have any emotions when I crossed the line. It was a really weird feeling. Um, that's mad. Yeah, I didn't. Such a huge achievement that you've trained for all year. And yeah, you I just, I didn't have, but I knew I was going to win halfway through that race. I was welling up like I was going to cry because I knew I was going to win because of all the problems I had previous years and, 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 and going into that race. But I knew I was going to win. And that's when I told everyone that I had been tough. So 2018, I celebrated both wins. Ah, because I was. So technically, to, is the one moment. Yeah, I like it. Moment, so, yeah. and, and how do you celebrate? Like, do you have a couple of beers or isn't that...? Yeah, sometimes. It just depends. I don't really drink, to be honest. Um, but sometimes after the London Marathon, the athletes get together and we have a beer and stuff like that. Do you have a, do you have a cheeky pizza or is it, no, are I'm you a militant no, no, about no, your no, diet? No, I'm not militant. I, I am starting to rein in on my, my diet because I felt like I had to change it as I've got older. Um, but yeah, I like a dirty burger, to be honest. Yeah. So this is the first time I've ever been compared to an elite athlete because I feel like me and you have the same nutrition strategy. Yeah. So I'm taking that. I think that's a good note to finish on. Yeah. Um, David, you've been awesome, mate. And thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. You've been the greatest, probably, guest that I've spoken to. You're certainly the greatest Paralympian we've ever produced. So thank you very much. Thank you on behalf of us and everybody on the podcast. And hopefully we'll get you on again because I've got 10 million other things yeah, to no, talk to Yeah, no, I'd love to come on again. Legend. Thank you very much. Cheers. On to the next one, guys. If I was jealous enough listening to New York Marathon last week, then listening to Chicago might just finish me off. But here comes Sports Tours International. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome along to this pod's uh, race review. And to do this one, I have Ben from Sports Tours here. Now, Sports Tours can help you uh, organise trips to major marathons around the world. And today, we are going to talk about Chicago. Ben. Tell me about Chicago. I've never run it. Is oh, it good? You've got it. You've is it got fast? Get, oh, we'll get one. you an entry, Mike. It is okay, a Okay, you heard that here first, race. guys. This is on the pod. <laughs> Free entry for me. But no, t- let's, let's learn about the marathon. So, so what's it like? Great. So, first of all, it's the flattest conceivable marathon. Um, and as a result, it's a lightning quick course. So the world okay. record was broken in 2023. Um, numerous world records. Sorry, that's immense world records. So I think it was two hours, one minute and 34 seconds. 
Pretty close to my time, yeah. yeah breathtaking. Very... I'm pretty yeah. sure I did that. Well, so I actually ran Chicago the same race and, and I crossed the halfway line in around they... about the same time. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, uh, it's an extremely flat course. It starts and finishes right in the heart of, uh, of Chicago, downtown Chicago, Grant Park. Um, and it takes in, uh, I think, all 27 or 29 boroughs of, uh, of, of Chicago. Uh, the course is almost a star shape going in and out of the best parts of the city. So of oh, cool. every single marathon, uh, or certainly the world major marathons, uh, there isn't a quiet part on the course. You are seeing a different part of, of Chicago, but all within, give or take, the downtown area. Okay. So you very much soak up the atmosphere and every and, and, and the the, um, the cultural offering of each of these different districts. Whether it's Chinatown, whether it's downtown, whether it's the corporate area of, of, of the city, um, and you know you you get support the whole way round. So it's. You know, it's it's one of the the iconic world's uh, major marathons, but it's just a super opportunity to um, to experience one of the great cities of America. And in terms, of, I don't really know much about Chicago. I've been there once, and I think are there iconic landmarks that you go past? Did you go through any parkland? Is it mainly road? Yeah, so I, you start in Grant Park, which is um, you know one of the most famous urban green spaces in America. Um, and then you run through um, the downtown area. You've got the L trains running above you. I mean, it honestly feels like you're running through a film set at times, <laughs> even more so than when you run through, say, Manhattan doing the New York Marathon. Uh, so that's super cool. And then, like I said, there's a, a kind of mix between the the urban and then the kind of cultural zones of, of Chicago. It's a really culturally rich city, and that definitely comes across in the course. So if you do need to distract yourself from the, the, uh, the purgatory <laughs> of, of running a marathon, there's always something there to kind of take your mind off things. And um, it's a really interesting course, but it's it's like I said, it's absolutely flat. So if you're just trying to get that time, whether it's a qualifying for age, a PB, or just making life as easy as it can be by running a flat uh, a flat course. Chicago's a great, great events target. Amazing. And when we spoke in one of our previous episodes about sports tours and, and doing events, you, you you guys do New York, you have a cheer zone there. Do you have a cheer zone at Chicago? We do. So our job as a business isn't just to give people a race entry and a hotel room. What we try and do is make that whole experience of taking part in an iconic marathon as stress-free as possible. So all you have to think about is the running. That's hard enough. So, for example, we will have a rep in every single hotel. We'll take you to the race expo to pick oh, wow. up your number. We'll have a shakeout run before beforehand, a pre-race briefing where the maranoia the night before a marathon, yeah. we will answer every and any conceivable question to put your mind at ease so you are ready to go and race. And then after the race itself, uh, we have an after party. So uh, oh, Chicago, now you're talking. Yeah, now this is the most important point. So we uh, a really kind of cool spit and sawdust Chicago bar called Bub City. We take over the place. It is such a great night out uh, after the race in New York. We take out the whole of the Hard Rock Cafe in Times Square. So you know we know how to throw a good party as well. Uh, and that's all part of the the offering that when you take part in one of our events, you're actually part of a community of runners. And there is nothing better than seeing a room full of people who have just taken on, you know, in, in many instances, the challenge of a lifetime, succeeded, mm. they've got their medal around their neck and, and are celebrating a shared achievement. And you're very much part of a the community there and, and, and meeting like-minded runners. So, yeah, it's a super cool thing to do over a long weekend. I love that idea because I, I, I've done a few international marathons and I think when you go over, 
Like, it's actually, if you, if you finish and you've travelled over by yourself or maybe with one or two friends, it's a little anticlimactic. And I would quite like the, the sort of the party, the beers and the burgers, because, you know, that's why I run in the first place. Yeah, so totally. I mean, I'm in. I'm yeah, looking forward can, to my free place. Oh, I think that's it. <laughs> well, look, you know what? Free place will shout you a beer as well. Uh, there's nothing better this than... This podcast uh... has suddenly got really good. Uh, it's, well, look, thank you very much, Ben, for coming on. I think that's been really informative. And what we'll do is we'll put some links in the description about how to find the trips that we've talked about. Um, so thanks for coming on. Uh, on to the next bit. If you've got marathons coming up very soon, then these next two sections are going to be for you. Let's kick off first with some nutrition with Arch. Hello and welcome to this week's nutrition section, the last nutrition section of the series. And today I'm welcomed by a familiar face if you've been tuning along to all of these episodes. He's in last week's advice section. He's also going to be in this week's advice section. So there's no lack of Arj today uh, from Performance Physique. Arj, welcome to the uh, pod show again. How are you doing? Hello, Don. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, getting lots of Arj on. Exactly. And today we're going to be talking about marathon training. We're going to talk a lot more about kind of building up distances and injury recovery in the advice section. But obviously we're in nutrition now. I want to talk a bit about that and mainly not not directly around kind of the race day before, during and after, but more around the build up. Because I often see when friends have been training for stuff and we see in the running community kind of a neglection of nutrition actually in the training period when we're actually running more than we will be running in that month, especially when we're where we are now, around seven, uh, six, seven weeks away. Um, so let's dive straight into that. Firstly, let's 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 ask the, the the basic question: Why is fueling your body so important when it comes to running? So, in in essence, running after about one hour requires further fueling. It has to come from some, some carbohydrate stores in order to maintain working at such a high level. That's the simplest version is after one hour, you either have to reduce your effort and intensity or you have to take on some fuel. And if you're training for a marathon, you definitely don't want to be dropping the amount of distance or the intensity that you're running at. Therefore, you need to be smart in terms of your fueling, whether that's during a training run or if that's just during the week in itself. And I think one of the, the big things, I'm going to ask a leading question here, is one of the things to think about is, oh, why would I not just you know, turn up on the marathon and try something completely new that day and just go, no, I'm going to eat a load of pasta the night before, a big old porridge breakfast, and then away I go. I've not done that during training. Why, why should I be doing it during training? Yeah, and unfortunately, there have been these horror stories, some really well publicised that you know, your viewers and, and the, the listeners will know about, about trying things on, on race day. And the body does not like digesting food whilst working quite hard. The blood is diverted away from the, the digestive system. And this can cause unfortunate circumstances, really, in terms of, of dealing with that food. And all you're going to be able to do is reduce your intensity, reduce your pace at a best case scenario. So you need to actually train the gut. We're training the body, we're training the mind with all of our runs and our preparation, maybe even in the gym, hopefully. You need to also be training your gut. And that is a real thing that researchers have identified. You need roughly six weeks to fully train the gastrointestinal tract to absorb as much carbohydrate as is ideal. So right now is definitely the time to start training your gut to absorb as much carbohydrate whilst exercising at quite a fast pace. And not every kind of every 
something doesn't work for everyone. Like there are, I think that's one of the big things we've taken over the last few weeks, particularly through these advice and nutrition sections, is that I, I think it was on um, it, my first half marathon. I saw a friend said, "Oh yeah, I've got these chew, like really chewy bars." And I thought, "Oh, perfect, loads of calories. I like I like them." And then about halfway through, I went to eat one, and I think I almost choked because I couldn't breathe and I couldn't eat, and it didn't work for me at all. And I went, "Hold on, you how come you, you, bad advice?" But actually, it works for that person, my friend doesn't work for me so i think how can people start to figure out what will work for them whether it's hard gel or just kind of more liquidy type things yeah i mean this is such a, a, a correctly timed point don you're not going to believe this i've scheduled a post for about two and a half hours time to come out saying my friend recommended this and <laughs> why that's a terrible idea to follow advice um so so fantastic um when we look at nutrition, there are correct principles. There are scientific principles that apply to um, every human. There are then massive individual differences between us in terms of likes, so just basic texture like you alluded to there, or in terms of how comfortable we feel. So we know that running with energy on board is better for you. However, it's my own personal preference as a practitioner, but also as a runner, just to actually not consume something um, before I go out on a run, which is obviously against the science. So if I was training for a marathon, I would probably do a majority of my work with some fuel on board because I know that's the right thing to do, but subjectively, I don't enjoy it, so some of my runs are going to be on an empty stomach. When you look at your, your intake of nutritional um, gels and bars and things like that, this is the reason where we need to train with them for a period of time because all of these gels, all of these bars, they're all very, very different in nature. Ideally, you want to be looking for the simplest sugars as possible to make things slightly easier. However, I know loads of us dislike that texture, the gloopiness of a gel, um, which by the way, 15 years ago was an awful lot worse than it is now. So if you've <laughs> never taken gels to now, just be thankful. Um, <laughs> The scientific development in, uh, in these gels from the companies has been brilliant. Um, but yeah, you have to understand that one person's, you know, I don't think this episode is sponsored, is it, Don? So I can, I can name them all. But... You, can, you can name who you want. <laughs> so one person's high five might be great for them, but really unsuitable for another person. And they would prefer, you know, a Morton or an SIS gel. Um, and I've noticed that with, with my clients over the years, that there are massive differences to taste, tolera tolerability, um, and the amount of water that that person feels like they have to take on board at the same time. So you need to go and train with all of these different gels, find the one which works for you the most. I'm not gonna say you're gonna enjoy any, any moment of this, but the one which you can stomach the most. And ideally keep things really low in fat, really low in fiber, and just really high in glucose and fructose. The last question I wanna ask you is around, kind of again, we're gonna talk more in the advice section of this episode around building up distances. But alongside that, when you're thinking about nutrition, would you be building up your nutrition and your intake to match that increase in activity as well obviously you're trying lots of different things so it might fluctuate slightly but generally obviously if you're going to be running more during the week as they go on you want to be taking on more and also training your stomach to be able to you might not eat that much usually especially if this is your first marathon so that's part of the training process as well yeah um it's it's an area where we see two two opposing teams okay. 
generally. Um, so we'll, we'll often have people who perhaps are newer to running, um, perhaps are carrying a little bit more body weight than what they would ideally run at during the marathon. Um, and there is a, a scary thought of thinking, I'm doing all this exercise, I need to fuel it and actually gaining weight. And then there's the opposing side who are fearful of gaining weight or fearful of consuming and perhaps have a history of eating disorders who don't fuel sufficiently. And in order to, to work out where you stand, you A, have to be really honest with yourself, but it's also really useful just to work out your calorie requirement day to day, not necessarily do any tracking, just understand what your calorie requirement is every day, and then working out a couple of um, statement distances and how much energy your body, because like you've said already, we're all different, our calorie requirements will differ between us. So for a 10K I need this amount of fuel, for a 20K I need this, for a 30K I need this. Having that in mind allows us then to just plan a little bit effectively during the week that, okay, two days or one day before a big run, I'm going to make sure I'm having more carbohydrate in my day and perhaps the day after. And then the rest of the week looks exactly the same. It, it can get really, really complex, and this is actually where a lot of my consultations lie in preparation for marathons, is that people literally just want to talk about their, their nutritional intake. But if you feel like you are not at running condition, then focus not on necessarily recuperating tons and tons of nutrition because you've got a real big run, tough run to prepare for, and instead just think, Muscular recovery, so I want some carbohydrate, I want loads of veg, and I certainly want protein. Sit on that side of the fence until you get a few weeks out and just make sure that you've been doing all of your training the gut elements. So that's your, um, your fueling during your run. And then if you're on the other swing of things where you perhaps haven't been fueling sufficiently, you know this, you feel tired, you feel fatigued, your muscles aren't recovering, just go about increasing your portions of carbohydrate, generally the things which are beige in color, a little bit at a time. Just add tiny, tiny bits. You don't have to track these calories, you don't have to get really complex, but you just need to be aware of what you and your runs need. I find these nutritional sections so interesting, so thank you for kind of going over the top level of that, and again, stay tuned for the advice section a bit later on, where we're gonna talk a lot more about marathons and training and building up. Uh, you mentioned that Instagram post that my friend recommended. Where can people go to see posts like this and everything else to do with uh, coaching and advice and nutrition and all that type of thing? Absolutely, yeah. So all the consultations, all of our service, they're all available on www.performancephysique.co.uk or just head to our Instagram profile, performance underscore physique. Arj, thank you so much for this nutrition section. We'll see you later on in advice. Yeah, I'll see you shortly, Dom. Thanks very much. We're going to take you from Argent Dom to Argent Dom for this advice section talking about the build up to a marathon. Hello and welcome back to the very last advice section on the National Running Pod Show where today I'm joined by last week's advice guest Arj who is from Performance Physique and for people that didn't check in last week Arj can you tell us a little bit more around what you do? Absolutely, yeah. First of all, shame on you for not joining us last week. Um, but I am effectively a performance coach who works with a variety of different sports, whether that's with someone's nutrition, whether that's with someone's actual running plan, their S&C, 
The idea is that the performance coach can build the entire model all together and help someone achieve their goals. Now, earlier on in this episode, we were chatting to you about nutrition and it was all about the build-up uh, towards the marathon and, and some great advice in that. And we're going to kind of carry on from the theme of marathons uh, because as we spoke about, London Marathon is coming up very soon. We're getting into the swing of marathon season. And no matter whether you've done, you know, loads of marathons or this is your first ever one, I think the maranoia starts to set in around this time, um, especially, you know, really getting into your, to your training block. So I think this is a great opportunity to give some advice. Um, firstly, can you kind of tell us a bit, I've used that word, maranoia. Some people might think, what the hell is that? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that kind of, Thing, maranoia that might set into a lot of people yeah of course the the concept really is just like any major event or any big thing for you any big deal that arises there's nothing special about it being for a sporting event it's just those nerves the a little bit of anxiety that um, arrives that you know you've got some kind of challenge or something which is putting you outside of your comfort zone that is perhaps Playing a little bit heavier on your mind, now you know that date and you know London Marathon I think it's just about seven weeks away now um, from when we're recording and you're starting to think have I done enough at this point, am I going to get to my goal, am I going to get to that finish line and those ideas, those thoughts are now starting to circulate. And I imagine those ideas and thoughts start to circulate because it's, like I said, that training regime and the, the miles that you're running are starting to ramp up. And I think that's where I want to start is that people will often be running distances in their training that they've never run before, maybe in events and just casually before. So what would be your advice to people that are building up these distances, you know, gradually, but quite you know, in a quite extreme way in terms of going building up three, six miles each week, what would be your advice to do that in a kind of constructive and safe way? Yeah, it, it certainly does rely on where you're at in your, your training so far, and that, that even includes what you were doing prior to training for London. Um, if things have been going really well for you and you're quite an experienced runner, maybe this is your first or second marathon, but you've got lots um, in the bag in the past. Standard rules... Um, like 10% increases on week on week are very safe generally. Um, I don't, don't use that rule myself with my athletes and my clients. I tend to look at slightly bigger increases and then hold them for four weeks and then another big increase. Um, but doing things sensibly is generally the best way forwards because seven weeks gives you a, a very short period of time realistically to now recover from an injury. So if you feel like you're slightly behind on your training, getting ready for the marathon, now's not the time to be thinking, I need to make up for the, the lost mileage of last week. You know, you went to the pub perhaps, you watched, you watched Arsenal win another game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you maybe missed out on 10, 15K. That 10, 15K in the whole realm of your training program isn't going to, to be a lot. Therefore, now's not the time to make up for mileage. Now's to make sure that all the mileage you do do is effective and efficient. So look at your week, look at each week and give yourself an idea that you want to leave at least seven days prior to the marathon as your taper. So for us right now, we're seven weeks away, say, that means we've got six weeks to make a performance improvement. We can make a lot of performance improvement in that period of time. And the average runner 
only needs to get to about 18 to 20 miles of the entire marathon duration within a training session. So you don't need to be trying to run a marathon in preparation. And you'll be surprised, Dom, I see so many people doing this, running you know, a tester two weeks out from the marathon. It's the worst thing you can do. Instead, look for your longest run to be about four weeks out, three to four weeks out from the marathon itself, and then just work backwards from that date. What is manageable in your week to get you there? And don't, do not do two incredibly tough sessions back to back. Yeah, you've used the word and, and a kind of a, a, the phrase taper that you and I both know and experienced runners will likely know about. But I've actually had a couple of friends talk to me quite recently that are training for events and races, half marathon upwards, kind of going, oh, I, I would just assume that I continued going for, you know, start with your three miles and then you build it up and build it up. And the week before you do your 22 miles and then I'm doing my 26 miles. What's the taper? Why would I go back to doing less to do more? Why is that period so important? It's that glorious moment where you feel fresh. That's why. Um, fresh psychologically, fresh physically. It doesn't mean you don't do anything during that week. It means you're just reducing the total volume that you run. You still have activity. You still perhaps have one tougher workout, which is at the start of that seven days out, um, to test some paces, to test what it feels like to run a little bit quickly. Um, you still do your mobility workouts. You probably drop all of your strength training if you're doing any kind of rehab exercises, maybe a little bit for your, your calves or your ankles, that's fine. But the idea is that the taper leaves you with plenty of energy left within the muscles, plenty of glycogen, which is your energy within your muscles, but still allows you to be completely free. And you're right, Dom. I see lots of people going to two extremes in that final week. Some people think I'm going to do absolutely everything, and some people think I'm going to do nothing because it's the taper. Neither of those are appropriate. It's like everything in life. It's actually about living on the fence. Be be really, really great, and just take things a little bit easier. Okay, so I'm he I'm, I'm I'm listening to your advice. I'm taking it, and I'm doing some a very appropriate building up of paces and distances, and all the you know I'm following my plan. Uh, perfectly but I've, uh, I've rolled my ankle on that pothole in the on the pavement and all my knees feeling slightly you know slightly more painful than it usually does but I've I've got my long run on Sunday and you know I can't break I'm quite OCD with my plan I can't break it and it's seven weeks until the marathon watch I can't you know I can't possibly take three weeks off where where's the the advice and the knowledge there yeah yeah so it it's a scary moment. Um, rolling an ankle is something very familiar to, to myself this year, well, just last year actually, had an Ironman athlete just a couple of months out from the Ironman, not just roll his ankle, but completely rupture a, a load of ligaments. Um, that was a very intense moment of, of rehab and we didn't pull any of the running out. So Ironman obviously requires cycling, swimming and running. We didn't pull anything out other than the really intense running sessions. And the idea is that we try to find as many replacements for that running and the duration and the heart rate work as possible, whilst also doing a load of banded work or whatever the specific injury is. Now, if, if your injury, your rolled ankle isn't so severe, it's just causing you a little bit of discomfort, always take the, the thought in your head that, one week out is certainly better than taking 
no time out at all immediately, making things worse, and then suddenly you're going to have to sit the whole month out. So look for long-term rather than short-term. Look for replacements. So if you need to take four days out of a run, a running schedule, jump on the bike, go in the pool, look at what your heart rate normally is on your, your runs, try to replicate that on those other, other pieces of equipment. Make sure that you're not doing the, the typical rest and injury thing because resting an injury nine times out of 10 just means that when you return to the activity, the injury's still there, nothing's changed. You need to flood that injury site with as much blood as possible, trying to aid recovery, build up the strength around, around the tissue. And if I'm brutally honest, if it's out of your ability knowing what to do, reach out as soon as possible. Don't leave it, so you've gone two weeks and then you think, oh, I'll contact a physio now. Do things immediately. You'd rather, you know, this is one of the biggest events in the world, full stop, let alone sporting events. The London Marathon means you want to be there, so contact someone immediately. So I've, I know when I've rolled my ankle, I know if I've got recurring knee injury, but sometimes there, if I'm running, there are there's this thing in sport, you're never 100% fit. So there's always going to be something, whether it's my back or a shoulder or anything like that. How can I start to dif differentiate the difference between something that is going to change up my training like you've just spoken about or something that is actually something that is just because you are building up these miles and doing something you maybe haven't done before? Yeah, it's, it's really tough, Don. It is incredibly difficult. Um, as, a, as a coach, you know, we work from a health professional's point of view. So first things first, your, your listeners, your viewers, they need, they need to look after themselves. They need to take on um, a little bit of personal responsibility and think, right, is it actually safe for me to, to participate? A, an immediate no is a stabbing sensation in any injury. Anywhere in the body, if you've got that stabbing sensation, you know that's, that's beyond, mm, this might just be stiffness, which we, we kind of juggle all the time of, oh, am I just a little bit stiff? Do you notice things in the morning before you do anything? That's perhaps just a stiff sight. You know, your calves are a little bit tight, so the first few steps you take out of, of bed in the morning are a bit problematic, but as the day goes on, you're absolutely fine. If you find that problems are kind of lingering, and they're remaining during your training session, perhaps they go three quarters of the way through the training session, but afterwards it comes back with an vengeance, it sounds like you need to deal with it. It does sound like you have to, whether you're seeking a, a physio or just looking at where the injury site is and looking at your S&C that you've been following, ah, could this have caused this injury, etc. It's a very difficult um, matter to balance. It's a fine tuning element and you are correct. I have never met an athlete who has been 100%. It just doesn't happen. You are working incredibly hard so something is going to feel it. And unfortunately, as I've experienced this week, um, there's a reason I'm stood. It's because I'm getting older. I was picking up the baby out, out of the cot and my back, my back's sore. Oh, and unfortunately, no. as we get older, these things do crop up a little bit. Now, I know you're really good as we, you know, the last kind of 10 minutes have shown of giving advice on a physical level, but also I know that you're good at giving advice to people on, on that kind of psychological level as well. And that is a massive, massive part of as you say, one of the biggest events, not only in running, but in the world. And people put a lot of pressure on themselves. Again, they're running a distance for the first time. Even if they're running this race for the first time, they're raising money, they're putting pressure in terms of time and people coming to support them and 
all this type of thing. It's a massive, massive build-up. How can people, especially in the training, not maybe get too swept up into this where it might break them before they've even got to the start line? Yeah, yeah, really good point. Psychology is, is effectively what's going to carry you along with nutrition for the, the last quarter of the marathon. The running itself is kind of done by that point. I know it sounds crazy, but we're relying just on nutrition and your determination. And what I always would recommend is that in preparation in those weeks training up for, for the marathon, that you practice certain cues in your head. There's um, one of my athletes who, who loves to, to use a bit of kinetic um, cueing. So basically taps his, I think it's his fourth finger actually, um, to remind himself of good successful occasions in life whether that's sport or outside of it so when training gets a little bit tough he taps that fourth finger tries to think about being in the moment of success so perhaps in the build-up for your marathon you've done a half marathon you love that sensation you bring those positive uh, thoughts back and that happens throughout you should use that on race day as well in terms of like managing pressure um, up to the date and perhaps some of the, the fundraising that is really really difficult you have to remember though that no one is actually putting any of this pressure on you. It's all coming from within. Don't focus on too many steps ahead. Focus on that one step ahead, that mile ahead. Constantly stay in the moment. Don't allow your brain to start sweeping ahead. And as you approach, I don't know, mile 15, maybe you've, you've never got to mile 15 or 16 before and you're starting to feel a little bit tired, stop thinking anything negative. You literally put a full stop at that moment, you say out loud stop, and you think back to all that hard work that you've been through to get to this point. And this is where psychology and physiology meet. The idea behind training is that you go to the depths, the really horrible murky bits of training, so that on race day, you don't actually have to go as hard as that. Your, your pace should be slower than what you've done in training. Your pace should allow you to think, I've been here before and it's certainly not as bad as that horrible training run which was in February and all that rain and snow and all that kind of business and just constantly bring yourself back to the moment that you know that you have been here before and you can push on further. I'm going to echo what I think Mike said last week when he was recording with you was I could, I could talk about this and there's so much more in depth we could go into like for, for ages and ages. And I think we, you've covered really well the, the physical, you know, kind of the top line stuff with physical and mental things that will reassure people when they're going through training. Just help them out because uh, this is a really important time leading up to a really important event. So for people that want to find out more information about what we're speaking about, but also around what you do and coaching and support, where can they go? Absolutely, yeah. If they head to performancephysique.co.uk or go on Instagram and YouTube, just type in performance underscore physique and uh, we'll pop up. We have loads of free advice there, stuff from the London Marathon uh, last year, a lot of that covering mindset, and they can basically pick up some free tips and advice or reach out to, to myself and the team and we'll do our best to help you. And those links will be in the description and the article associated to this and all, all the relevant places. Arj, thank you for giving some advice on this final episode of the National Running Pod Show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me back, Don. Thank you so much for joining us. Just a final goodbye from the three hosts that have carried us through this season. 
So that is it, people. That is the end of season one of the National Running Show Pod Show in association with Runderwear. Thank you for sticking with us. We appreciate the support. Please email us. Please let us know if you'd like us to do this again next year or if you'd like us to do more of these sort of things or if you've got any suggestions for how we could mix it up a bit, if you could maybe find a better host, someone you know, not like us three. Um, <laughs> We're all right. But, yeah, actually, someone to replace me. Let's bring Don back in. He doesn't like being behind the camera. Um, so thank you to all of our supporters. Big thank you massively to Runderwear for everything that they've done to get this show to the market and to bring you all of the inspiration and advice that we have. If you would like to enter the final competition to win £100 <laughs> of Runderwear vouchers, then uh, follow the notes in the show notes or head over to the Runderwear website, use the code PODSHOW and you will get 10% off. Now, we have been talking about favourite races and favourite runs. Now I want to talk about least favourite races or worst runs. Jamie, Ooh, what's your worst run or least favourite race? Oof. Um, okay, got it. Uh, Hong Kong Ultra. Okay. At the peak, um, I was two weeks into, I was in China, traveling through China, not really having the normal nutrition that you would have. Went off, and the ultra starts at the same time as the half. <laughs> so I went off, obviously bolted out with all the half marathoners. <laughs> uh, and nutrition was pretty ropey. Um, and I was, I, I got to the last 10K and uh, it was like that. And I was just dead. I, How I long was the ultra? To, I really, uh, it wasn't, it was about 50K, 55K. So it wasn't that, it, but it was the incline. I was, I'm a, as you know, I'm more of a flat marathon kind of runner. Yeah. I just thought, oh, I just do it the weekend as a bit of a, bit of a training run, bit of fun, get out there, speak to a few other runners while I'm on the road. Um, and while I'm in Hong Kong and I totally under prep for it and I paid a massive price and so I didn't really enjoy that race that's the race that stands out where that one moment where I thought what am I doing what am I do I mean yeah. I'm sure we've all been there right and you guys running a lot longer than I do normally in ultras probably have that more than me um, I imagine so what's what's yours Oh, I, my worst race is also the race that I'm going back to this year, and it's only my worst race because it's the one that I failed at. Yeah. Um, and unfinished business. And now I want to get some. Yeah. I'm actually doing it again in June, and it's it's a brilliant race, really well organised, um, and it's the South Downs Way 100. Okay. And the story about this is, um, you and Thomas, who is a friend of mine and somebody who speaks at the show, is 400 meter runner, and we were training him to do. 400 by 400 so if you run 400 meter 400 times yeah. that's 100 miles yeah so we made a film about this Ewan was being trained up and he wasn't doing any of the training <laughs> he was doing really badly we were like he's never going to make it through this race and then the person who was supposed to run the race with couldn't do it so they went mike can you run with him and show him how it's done i was like because i can i got this i'm amazing at running <laughs> And uh, I, we did the 50-mile training run. Um, that went really well. You and struggled, but I actually felt great. And I just knew I was going to smash it. Yeah. And we're making a movie about this thing. <laughs> so just before we set off, um, there's this scene of me and you, and we're going, whatever happens, man, we don't quit. <laughs> and uh, it's, like, really emotional. And then the next, pretty much the next scene is me going... I think that's it for me. Uh, I, think, I think I'm about done here. It was like, 17 oh. miles in. Yes, I, made, I made it to 50. It was so hot, and I yeah. really couldn't. I couldn't handle the heat, and I was swaying all over the tra trail. And 
I was like lying under a bush to try and. Was cool it nutrition? Down. What was it? Or hydration? A little what bit nutrition. Definitely hydration. Yeah. And I definitely went out too hard in the heat. Yeah. So I'm lying yeah. under this bush trying to cool down, and this yeah. dog comes up to me and starts licking salt off me, and I'm like, "This is it. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah. This is this is the end for me." Yeah. So. That's I, terrible. I, my my friend came and picked me up and took me back to her house, gave me pizza and garlic bread, and I went back in and crewed you in, and yeah. fair play to that man. He finished the race. That is good. He was behind on the cutoff. Yeah. Um, so he was about half an hour ahead of the cutoff, and he was going further away. And then in the last 30 miles, he caught it up. He, like, <laughs> he extended, which never happened. So no. I think he finished about an hour wow. ahead of the cutoff. And he was... That is the mindset. That shows the mindset. Yeah, I was going to say it's the mindset of of a competitor. That yeah, yeah and actually, if you want to say it's on YouTube, if you look up four hundred by four hundred, it's on the Run Show TV channel. You can still yeah. watch the movie of me crying <laughs> in a hedge and you and being an absolute hero. So, Elise, what's your worst race experience? So it's the first ultra I ever tried to do. Tried being the operative word. Yeah, and I'd say it was an equal part bad experience because of my input and the organisers. So I'd never run an ultra before. I had no idea what it really entailed. I hadn't done any training, you know, all the usual stuff. But I'd read a blog post where somebody said they had run 100 kilometres and that they had done it with their mind and they hadn't done any training. So I've I thought, done loads of things in my mind, but they didn't actually happen. So I Is thought, this on TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> it was a vlogger. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's fine, I haven't done any training then. I'll run it with my mind. <laughs> but it turns out you need your legs as well. So I just like wasn't fit enough to be attempting this race, which obviously How was... How long was this race? 100k. Oh, my God. Started at a random town in the home counties and you ran into London. It's, it's a race that only ran that once. It never ran again. Um, and it was a terrible race as well. So, so it was meant to be fully waymarked, but there were no signposts at all. Um, everybody in the race got lost. Um, I decided at the marathon point that I could not possibly go on. So I ducked out, at, cried in a graveyard for an hour, phoned the race organiser to say, unfortunately, I was dropping out as you're meant to. He shouted at me and said it didn't look good for business if he had dropouts. Um, yeah, and then Sophie carried on holding her cycling bottle. I think I mentioned oh, a few oh episodes goodness, ago. This is the yeah, same. Sophie. The race Car- organizer was at Heathrow. He was about to leave <laughs> anyway because it sounds like he just deserted the whole thing. Sophie carried on to about forty-five miles, but I went to the finish, which was right in the centre of London, to go get my bag. Um, and the finishers were coming in at that point, but nobody had arrived from the race, so the finish line wasn't up when the finishers were winning. The first finishers. Um, this sounds like a like a you know kind of watchdog kind of thing. I signed up for an event and there was no finish line. (laughs) It really surprises me that this race didn't run again. Yeah, Uh, it was really strange. So obviously, I didn't go in in fighting form. I I wouldn't have finished if it was the best race in the world. Can I ask how you found out about the race? So there's got to be a story here. Poster in a phone box. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. It was, the year was 2015. I was going to do a different race, I think, and then for some reason I couldn't. But it was just before I was about to do my run around the coast. So my logic was, I'll train really hard for this 100k, then that'll put me in good shape to start this challenge. Yeah. None of these things happened. I didn't do any training, I didn't finish the race, and I just remember Sophie's boyfriend saying... If you can't finish this race, like, do you really think you're going to do this big run around the country? Yeah, but you did it, though. Yeah. You did it. Also, yeah. Sophie's boyfriend got really annoyed that I called him Sophie's boyfriend in my book. 
Oscar said that. <laughs> okay, so there you are, guys. We, uh, we, we've all done bad races, we've all done good races, but actually it's really important you get out of the door, you put your shoes on, you go for a run and, and make the best of it. It's always fun. Thank you, both of you, for being part of this show. I think it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, Have you it's enjoyed been great. it? Yeah, it's been great. Thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah. I hope we can do it again. I, yeah. I sort of genuinely feel like this has legs and I really hope you guys do. We like doing it, so if you would like us to do it again, please let us know. Please like and share and do all the social media things that I don't really understand. <laughs> um, I'd just like to say a massive thank you to Runderwear for supporting this whole show. Um, don't forget, you can still enter the competition to win £100. Follow the link in the show notes. It'll tell you everything you need to do. Or head over to the Runderwear website and use the code PODSHOW to get 10% off. Thank you so much for being with us. Guys, it's been awesome. It's been emotional. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much. See you all soon. And with that, we come to the end of the first season of the National Running Pod Show. Thank you so much to those of you that have been joining us throughout the season, whether that's listening or viewing. Please do let us know how you got on with this series, how you thought about it. We want to do more of these, so please do get in contact. If you're listening, then please do leave a review. If you're watching on YouTube, then subscribe, like, comment, and also reach us on Instagram. Tell us all of your thoughts and feelings, because we want to do more of this, bring more information into the world of running and we have fun doing it so why not thank you so much for supporting us through this first ever national running pod show i've been dominic brown and hopefully we'll see you very soon